0: Hello everyone, this is Ruth Haley Barton and you're listening to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. Today we're pleased to offer a bonus episode on Epiphany and we're following a similar format to what we've done through Advent. I'm here with my staff and we'll be moving through the scriptures with conversation and then concluding with poetry. And now I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello, friends. It is January 6th. And that means that in our church calendar, this is epiphany. It's the day that we celebrate the coming of the Magi to the manger to visit and to worship the baby Jesus. Now, we also know that since last year's insurrection, that January 6th now means something different to those of us who live in America. Uh, We experienced one of what some people are calling the darkest moment in our American history on that day. And we know that the revelations about what happened on that day are still emerging um, due to the good work of the commission that is trying to help us to learn what we need to learn from what happened on that day. And so We don't want to ignore the fact that that day happened and that on this January 6th, it's the one-year anniversary of that really horrible day. At the same time, we continue to practice our faith by following the church calendar and staying really connected with the life of Jesus and staying connected with the themes of our faith. And so we will do that today in a faithful way and maybe even possibly we can experience further epiphany, further revelation, further insight and understanding through the work that we're doing as a country in trying to pay attention to what happened and how to prevent it from happening again. So with prayerful hearts and with sensitivity to many of the things that we're thinking and feeling on this day about what happened in our country, we're going to proceed and talk about epiphany as a really important day in our church calendar. So in case you're not aware, um, Epiphany is the official ending of the Christmas season. Now, some of you might have already taken your trees and your mangers and everything else down and gotten Christmas out of the way. But today, January 6th, is the actual ending of the Christmas season from the standpoint of the church year. And on this day, we celebrate the showing forth of Jesus, the manifestation of God in earthly form through his birth. The light has come to our world, and now it moves beyond just those intimate moments at the manger with those intimate few that came to visit there. And now there's manifestations, multiple manifestations of who Jesus is to the whole world. And it's symbolized by the Gentile sages, the Magi who came from the East. They were advisors to pagan kings and they had had a sense from watching the stars that something extraordinary was going to happen. And so they had seen the star that they had been looking for and they strike out to search for this new baby king. And so on this day, we celebrate their arrival at the manger. And the common theme of epiphany is manifestation, revelation, um, insight that comes in ordinary moments and through commonplace experiences. What has been largely hidden and very intimate and private is now being made more widely known. And in case you weren't aware, again, Epiphany is not just a day. It's not just January 6th. It's actually a season as well. So the season of Epiphany marks many of the ways in which Jesus' true identity was revealed in common moments throughout his life. So the visit of the sages to the manger, that's the first manifestation. But then as the season goes on, we read about Jesus' presentation in the temple We read about his baptism by John the Baptist in the Jordan, um, him turning water into wine at the wedding feast in Canaan. And then, of course, the season culminates in the transfiguration. So Epiphany is also a season, not just one day. And it's a season in which we celebrate the different ways in which the presence of Jesus and his light in the world is made manifest. So we're going to talk about the themes that are contained in Epiphany. We will not be able to cover it all. There is so much in these scripture readings and so much contained within this particular story, this particular narrative of the Magi arriving at the manger, but we're going to do our best and we're going to read the scriptures. We're going to read them slowly, giving us a little bit of a chance to take in the words and the experience at the ending of each reading. And then we'll, of course, include conversation with our staff. And we're a little bit of a smaller staff today because of the Omicron variant that just seems to be sweeping our country right now. So we're being careful. We're in separate rooms um, and a fewer number of us are gathered, but we're still glad to be here with you and to mark the beginning of the season of Epiphany. And so now I'll ask our scripture readers to go ahead and name our scriptures and begin.
1: Ephesians 3 1 through 12. This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you, and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I have become a servant according to the gifts of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. So that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him.
2: Matthew 2, 1-12
0: Well, those of you who have been around me a little bit this season know that I have been really stirred by the journeys that are represented in the Christmas story. And we haven't had a chance to talk about all of them, but the first journey that I've been aware of is Mary's journey to see Elizabeth, and we did get to talk about that one. Um, It was a fragile journey for her where she had this thing happening in her life that was God's will for her that no one else could understand. And that fragile journey was to seek out spiritual companionship from someone who could understand and affirm God's will as it was being unfolded in her life. So there was that fragile journey. Then there was the journey that you don't want to be on. That was the journey that Mary and Joseph needed to take. They didn't want to be on the journey in that census taking um, instruction that they had received, but they had to go to Bethlehem, even though she was nine months pregnant and the trip was not well planned. Um, They had to do it. And it was a journey that they didn't want to be on. And I think probably many of us can identify journeys like that for ourselves, journeys that we don't want to be on, but we're on them because that's where God has us. And then the third journey that I mentioned was the Magi, the journey of the Magi. And that's where we are today. Um, talking about this dangerous and risky journey that the Magi uh, needed to take because they had been looking, they had been spiritually seeking for a long time. And so the journey of the Magi to visit the baby Jesus is really the journey of seeking. It's the journey of spiritual seeking after truth. And the story of the Magi tells us that in every way, that journey is dangerous and risky, not only for the people taking the journey, but also for the people around them. So, today we're going to talk a little bit about what is contained within this journey. And I think it's a really appropriate journey to look at when you're early on in a brand new year, because even though we're following the church calendar and we looked at the first Sunday of Advent as being the beginning of the new Christian year, there's no way that those of us living in our culture can avoid the feeling of newness at the beginning of January. You know, all of us take time and we stop and we note the fact that a new year is coming, and all of us have. Thoughts and hopes and desires and intentions in our hearts. We can't help ourselves. And so um, I always think that the journey of the Magi seeking being willing to order their lives after their spiritual seeking is a wonderful idea at the beginning of a new year. You know, when we think about our intentions, how are we going to set our intentions for spiritual seeking and spiritual journeying? And what is God calling us to spiritually at the beginning of a new year? So I love thinking about Epiphany and the journey of the Magi at the beginning of the new calendar year. And when I think about the Magi, sometimes I think about the movie The Hobbit. I'm sure many of you remember when The Hobbit came out and it was the precursor to The Lord of the Rings was uh, written by Tolkien. And what's interesting about The Hobbits and, of course, their, their journey started uh, being called an unexpected journey or no, it was an unexpected adventure. And it was an interesting story because hobbits by nature don't like adventures. It starts out kind of humorous and funny because they like predictability. They love good food and ale. They prefer to stay in the comfort of their own cute little homes. Um, They don't care for strangers and they don't feel any need to venture out beyond the safety of the Shire, which is their home. And so when Gandalf the wizard approaches Bilbo Baggins about going on an adventure with a bunch of dwarves, no one is more resistant to the journey than Bilbo himself. And in fact, he tries to refuse to go. Um, And then Gandalf says, when did you get so attached to your mother's doilies and your china teacups? Which is really, you know, a symbol of that place of safety, you know, that many of us do not want to leave. And I think that many of us are like hobbits. We don't like strangers. We don't like adventures. We want to stay in our comfortable little homes with our mother's doilies and teacups and eat and drink tea and just be comfortable and safe. That's what the hobbits would prefer. And we are like hobbits too, many of us. We just don't want the adventure. And so the journey of the Magi, though, tells us something different and says, sometimes there are these moments when there's truth out there. Something that we're called to journey towards. And I think that's what the epiphany story is all about. It's all about the willingness to take the adventure and to move beyond the safe and the familiar to find our deeper spiritual home. And we might not even know exactly what we're looking for, but we do know that there's a longing deep within for something more. And I think many of us at the beginning of a new year feel that longing if we let ourselves, right? Um, we do the partying on the 31st, but then, you know, uh, on that first day of the new year, we might be able to sense longing for something meaningful and substantive. Or maybe we have a sense of God leading us on and leading us forward. So because the seasons of the church year, as we understand them, are seasons intended to teach us things about the spiritual life that we need to know, we might ask, what does the story of Epiphany have to teach us about our own spiritual lives? What does the journey of the Magi have to teach us about our own adventures in faith? And how does Epiphany draw us towards the adventure versus letting us just sit comfortably in our safe little houses? So the dangerous, risky journey is what we're talking about today. And I'll I'll mention a couple things that I see in this journey, and then we'll talk about what you're seeing in the story as well. First of all, in this story, I see a lot of imperfection. I think that's one of the striking elements of the story, the Christmas story in general, and also the story of the Magi in particular, that there was nothing surrounding these circumstances that were perfect by any definition at all. Mary was not in a sanitary, sterile hospital being cared for by nurses. She was, you know, in a barn somewhere um, without some of the basic things that she needed. The birth was taking place out of wedlock, and I'm not sure that had been all resolved completely within their community. So Joseph and Mary were alone in some really profound ways. There were no baby showers, no celebrations of this wonderful event. Um, People were probably still struggling to actually figure out what happened, you know, and what are we to believe about this birth? Beyond those intimate imperfections, there was definitely a lot of imperfection in the in the outer landscape. And I feel like this is a place that really corresponds with our own situation right now, because the outer landscape into which Jesus was born was really very bleak. Jesus was born during a time of religious and political upheaval. Um, King Herod was very insecure and he was violent in his insecurities. Um, and so he used his power to create a very dangerous and volatile environment. The other thing is that we call these, you've noticed that I've avoided calling these characters wise men, because in some ways they weren't actually very wise. They were actually a bit of a hindrance in the unfolding of the Christmas story. They actually tipped Herod off to the fact that there was a potential usurper being born in Bethlehem. So I can't help thinking of the movie The Star right now and Christopher Plummer, who, you know, voices King Herod. But But really, if you know that a king is jealous and insecure, why would you march right up there and tell him that there's a new king that's been born? So this revelation sends Herod into a jealous rage, which causes one of the most tragic incidences in the whole of scripture. And that is what we call the slaughter of the innocents where all the babies are killed because the wise men had tipped off Herod to the fact that there was a usurper being born. And the only way he knew how to deal with it was to wipe out all the babies. Um, And so the Christmas story now is haunted by the sound of mothers weeping and not able to be comforted because of the senseless violence that took their children's lives. So one of the things I see in this story is just the complexity. I mean, just the complexity and the lack of imperfect and the lack of perfection uh, surrounding the Christmas story. And the fact that even when things are not perfect, Jesus chooses to be born. And Jesus can be born. Jesus can come forth in our lives, even in the bleakest, darkest, most complicated seasons that we find ourselves in. So there's a spirituality of imperfection contained within this part of the story that's really very, very profound. And so um, in my mind, these sages that came, they were a little bit bumbling. They didn't help in many ways. And in fact, it was their bumbling, leading King Herod pretty much right to where the baby was, that resulted in dangers all around. And eventually the story ends with our final journey, which is the one where Joseph. Uh, understands and has revealed to him in a dream that he and his family are not safe and that they're going to need to leave Bethlehem and go to Egypt where Herod, Herod can't find them. And so um, the, the sages' bumbling actually created a lot of danger for many, many babies and for the Holy family themselves. So that's uh, part of what I'm seeing here. Um, let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, is it striking to any of you? Do you see this in the story that Jesus um, chooses to be born in a very imperfect situation. What does that say to us in our current milieu?
1: <laughs> well, it it definitely is a comfort. It always seems to be imperfect in our lives, our bumbling around. So that is a great comfort uh, to hear that in that way.
0: Even the fact that we had to start out with talking about the, Jan- the, the January 6th insurrection points to the fact that all of this is taking place in a very imperfect situation.
1: Yeah. I also think it's a great reminder because we think, you know, as we look, even like you said, as we look around at our culture and we think it is so messed up, everything's so messed up. How could, you know, God's, it's just a disaster and yet it gives us hope that maybe in the worst things God can still act or will still act.
3: I'm struck too with the fact that God didn't always make things smooth and easy for people. Like there could have been room in the end. (laughs) I'm sure God could have done that.
0: The census could have been taken at another time. Yeah.
3: (laughs) So many things. I mean, like bullet points of what God could have done to make it easier for Mary. And, um, you know, so, so much of the time we don't, um, we just shake our heads and say, why God, why aren't you, why aren't you providing? Why aren't you giving us what we need? Why aren't you making the raid smoother? And I think just like Jesus being born when it was messy and, complicated. It feels like part you know the the other side of the coin that God has a plan and it isn't always about comfort and ease. It is about bringing forth what needs to be brought forth. I certainly have said why God a mm-hmm. lot in the last <laughs> couple of years.
4: <laughs> what God is doing is often very mysterious and does need to be unveiled and revealed in ways that are unexpected. Uh, When you were reading the Ephesians passage, it's very mystical all that he's talking about, about how he even, that the mystery was made known to him by revelation. And then he's trying to share what that was. And that in former generations, this mystery was not made known and now it's being made known and now it's being revealed. And as, Ruth was af- was talking about the imperfections of the Christmas story, I often wonder, would I have been able to see what God was doing in such a messy situation? Would I have believed what Mary said about what God had said to her and who this child was? And that makes me think of all the stories that we hear now. And am I able to see and hear what God is doing in new and mysterious ways through the unveiling of things that we have not known or understood well in generations past. And can we be on a journey that keeps us open to these mysterious revelations and see God in the imperfections and the messiness and the upheaval that we're experiencing? What, what is the new and dangerous journey that we are on? by ourselves and together.
0: Well, it takes me back to that place in our early in the transforming community experience where we talk about mystery and the fact that everything that's most important to us and most essential in our faith is somewhere in scripture called a mystery. You know? And and this is one of those passages where Paul who is and I just love the book of Ephesians for this reason because Paul who is this great intellect just can't stop talking about mystery and can't stop talking about the things he doesn't know and can't know except through divine revelation. And you're like, well, if the apostle Paul, who is such an intellect, has to rely on mystery to describe our faith, why are we so resistant to mystery? And why do we feel like we have to be able to put everything in boxes and explain it theologically and have all of our dogmas? And if anything's outside the dogma, then we just reject it out of hand. I feel like when we're doing that, we're not understanding the basic nature of our faith and the mysteriousness of our faith and how God moves and works in our lives. Um, And there's so much mystery in the Christmas story, you know, the angels and the dreams and all of that. And I'm thinking, man, we are so pragmatic (laughs) in Western culture that... um, we can barely stand those kinds of elements. We hardly ever pay attention to things like
4: angels and dreams and stars in the sky and all that sort of thing. And yet we're we so deeply live in this Christmas story mm-hmm. every year, but it's almost yeah. too familiar. Yeah. You know, the the story is almost too familiar in all of its movements that we don't actually even stop to think about who we might have been yeah. at that time as mm-hmm. it relates to that story.
0: Absolutely. And yeah.
4: what does that mean for who we are today and the story today.
0: Right. Right. You know,
4: how would we know when, when God is coming now, you know, as you were saying like that Jesus still comes, he can still come. Mm -hmm. How, how will we, how will we know and how will we see? Yeah.
0: One set of questions that I love to ask at this time of the year is what would have happened if Mary had refused to believe the angel, you know, what would have happened if Joseph had refused to pay attention to his dream and acted upon it? What would have happened if the wise men had, or the wise sages had ignored the star, you know, at every point along the way, if one individual had refused the mystery, the whole story might've been different.
4: And risked, risked whatever it was that was theirs to risk.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And of course, you know, the, the wise sages, the magi, they also received a dream and that they needed to go home by a different way because they would be in danger if they went back the same way they had come. So if they had ignored that warning, they would have been killed on the way. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the mystical elements of the story really come together in this particular moment of epiphany. Um, and we, we see the, the full impact of, of all the revelations that have brought us to this moment. And I believe we're invited to think about our own lives and to say, is there anything like that happening for us? Is there any place where we're sensing God's mysterious nudging and urging to be open to something new and different, to even pursue, if you will, something new and different in this new calendar year?
2: in light of of what this date is i also was so struck by the fact that the the magi's journey involved a rejection of earthly power mm-hmm. it involved going against what they were told finding a different way home and i just i just think about how how confusing it is right now with relation to power mm-hmm. as christians and what the lesson or the message or the invitation in this story is for us as it relates to earthly power. I was really struck by it.
0: Well, one thing is for sure is that we see in this story that power can be used for evil or for good. I mean, and that it just scares me when I, you know, there was a king who had power and he chose to allow his insecurities and his jealousies and his feeling of being threatened drive him to kill babies, you know, like power can be used for terribly evil purposes and power can be used for deeply good purposes. And I think, I actually think leadership is what's on trial right now in our country is what impact, what impact did and does leadership have on the events that take place among human beings. Um, and that's one of the reasons why, the ministry of the transforming center to leaders is so crucial. I think is because it confronts that within all of us, which may be evil or unproductive or in inefe- ineffective and tries to set us as leaders on a different path, a path where we use our leadership for good. So I, I, I think that celebrating epiphany in the midst of processing further The events that took place on January 6th last year is highly appropriate. And I think there are revelations of motives, actions, the impact of leadership. Those revelations are important for us right now in our country to really see and grasp. So another thing that I see in the story of Epiphany is the the theme of risk. And I want to talk about risk a little bit because the Magi had to risk displeasing the person that they are working for. They had to risk leaving a place of real prominence in their current situation. Like They were sages. They were recognized as being advisors to the king. Outside of being the king himself, being advisors to the king would have been the greatest position of prominence that anyone could aspire to in that culture. So they had to leave their position of prominence and strike out for something that they couldn't even be sure existed. They they saw the star, but they didn't know what it was leading to. Um, but they felt sure that it was real enough that there was something for them. And so they struck out and they left their security and their prominence and what was known in their culture. They struck out for something they didn't even know. And I am really aware in the story of Epiphany and this journey in particular that there's always risk involved in any kind of true spiritual journey. And I, you know, I remember, I think we all, we all have moments where we know that we took a risky step. And I remember the first time that I realized that my spiritual journey was going to involve taking a risk. And it did involve striking out on my own and moving beyond the religious settings that I had been a part of. And it happened in my early thirties. The first time it happened, it happened in my early thirties. And Uh, It had to do with God's call on my life. It had to do with theology and practice. And it, you know, it really did involve stepping outside of all that was known in my life. And it it also involved stepping away from a secure job and a position of prominence as a staff person. I mean, it involved letting go of so much in order to start again. And I had no idea whether there would be anything for me on the other side of that journey, um, on the other side of that risk taking. And so I think that this this story of the Magi really does push each and every one of us to say, is there any place in my own life where I know that God is calling me to take a risk of some sort in order to continue to follow him, in order to continue to follow the truth? And am I willing? And so I think that is the question that this story raises for all of us. And that when we choose to say yes, we better expect an adventure. We better expect, like we've said, it's not going to be the easiest path. It's not going to be the most straightforward path. It's not going to be painless. It's not going to be harmless. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be without its dangers, toils and snares. And, you know, are we ready for that? Are we ready for that uh, as we enter into this new year? So th- does, is, is anyone sensing that for themselves that, yes, there's, there's a risky journey. There's an adventure. That God is calling me to in some way or another.
1: I definitely wouldn't use the word adventure.
3: <laughs>
1: oh come that on, sounds, you
0: little hobbit! You that,
1: that <laughs> sounds too exciting <laughs>
0: uh,
1: or, or not dangerous enough uh, with reality. Oh. Uh, but I definitely, I think, I mean, I I couldn't say this without I have been in been in a transforming community and. John 9 and and knowing Jesus is going to look for me after I've taken the risk and they've thrown me out or whatever. That is the only way that I, I always move forward is that I know that I can take the risk because Jesus is going to meet me there, that he's never going to leave me. So that's made me in my life much more willing. But I will say, I mean, as we have gone through Advent and especially Uh, our discussion of the prayer of indifference and uh, the Lord's prayer, it does make me go to a different level of do I really, am I really willing to do what God wants me to do uh, and pay that cost? Um, And I, I heard, read something just the other day on a servant leadership and how we misuse that so much to mean, oh, we'll just do, the odd job or, you know, serve servant nursery or whatever, and how it actually really means, are you willing to take on scorn? Uh, that's what Jesus was representing by washing the feet. Um, and uh, that really sank down <laughs> in a fearful but confident way that uh, that's what he's calling us to.
3: Earlier, you were talking about mystery and how we, we don't like mystery, we'd prefer dogmas, <laughs> I mean, as human beings. And I was thinking that in the last decade or more, that it is my past in, in putting my faith in the dogmas mm. that has needed to courageously look at it and say, God is bigger than the dogma. God is bigger than the boxes. God is the one that I need to put my faith in and have the courage to even ask, is that dogma correct or not? You know, is there truth in it or is it just what the systematic theologies that we've set up to to feel safe and to not be afraid of whether we might have the right or the wrong answers? Because if we believe the systematic theology, then then we're okay. And that has, that's consistently been my journey is to look at what, maybe what I used to believe or what I was told to believe and to continue to push and say, I need to look at it again. I need to ask God again, what are you saying to me about this topic or this scenario, the situation? So I see a real parallel between mystery and dogma and fear and risk. Mm -hmm. Those all go together, maybe in different situations, but definitely risk is about facing fear.
0: Well, it sounds strange to say, but I'm going to pray that God would speak to us all about adventure and journeying and risk because that is what's contained in the story of Epiphany and also in the whole season as it unfolds. And so let's remember that Epiphany is not just a day. Epiphany is a season as well. And if you're following the lectionary, um, the lectionary will move us through the different revelations that take place, the revelations of who Jesus is and the light that he brings. And it'll take us right up to Ash Wednesday. So as always, I'd like to close with a poem, but I have two. I have had a really, really hard time choosing. So I'm going to do two, and I hope that somehow in God they can relate to one another. So the first poem helps us to reflect in a really intimate and personal way about what God is saying to each one of us and some of the intimate questions that emerge uh, within this kind of a journey. And then I'm gonna close with uh, a poem that's gonna help us to look outward as we live the season together. So the first one again is from Kate Comston. She says, oh God, who am I now? She's taking the place of the Magi. She says, oh God, who am I now? Once I was secure in familiar territory, in my sense of belonging, unquestioning of the norms of my culture, the assumptions built into my language, the values shared by my society. But now you have called me out and away from home and I do not know where you are leading. I am empty, unsure, uncomfortable. I have only a beckoning star to follow. Journeying God, pitch your tent with mine, so that I may not become deterred by hardship, by strangeness, and by doubt. Show me the movement I must make toward a wealth not dependent on possessions, toward a wisdom not based on books, toward a strength not bolstered by might, toward a God not confined to heaven, but scandalously earthed, poor and unrecognized. Help me to find myself as I walk in others' shoes. And now from Howard Thurman, I've got to end with Howard Thurman, the work of Christmas. And this this helps us to start looking outward. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among brothers and sisters, and to make music in the heart.